Some days are terrible, you wish that you were dead And some days are magical, like great banana bread Someday we'll be friends with the voices in our heads The voices in our heads Hello everyone, congrats on not killing yourself this week And welcome to another episode of The Voices in Our Heads I'm your host, Christina Hutchinson we ha- I'm recording this episode the day it comes out, the evening before it comes out, real last minute, um, because I woke up and there was a hurricane outside, y'all. I was reading an article not too long ago about how the hurricane season for the Atlantic is going to be extra bad. And I was like, ooh, cool. Just what we need. A little corona. Oh, and man, the Citizen app is an app that I uh, have on my phone. It's the app. If you follow me on Instagram, you see my Instagram stories. Sometimes I'll take screenshots of the weirdest crimes that are currently happening all around. And I'll I'll set it to the song New York, New York by Frank Sinatra because I, I think it's really funny. But it's the Citizen app is what I use. Kevin, you have my pants. What the hell? Kevin is playing with my pants. I'm sitting in my underwear right now, but it's not as it's not a hot, in a hot way. Nope, no, 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 not in a hot way. Pr- I promise uh, you can you could get yeah, but Christian, no, no, no. It's not. I'm not being shameful towards myself. I'm accepting myself. Very on point for what we're about to uh, explore in Nathaniel Brandon's Six Pillars of Self Esteem today: the act of self acceptance. Kevin, you pick your squeakiest toy. Don't pick the squeakiest toy. Oh, you're so cute. I don't even care what you do sitting in my underwear there was a hurricane today and or a tropical storm and uh it was it was it it, this is the first time a hurricane or tropical storm whatever it was I could have looked it up but I didn't um has hit since I've lived alone in this apartment I've lived in this apartment for 10 years Kevin Kevin is sitting on the green chair staring down at the toy he just dropped as if it's gonna levitate up to him see Kevin you can't pick the squeakiest toy while I'm recording. That's not cute. I'm going to take it. I'm going to freaking take it. I'm going to put, nope, nope, we're not. Get another toy. I just crushed his dreams, y'all. Anyway, what was I fucking saying? Oh, the hurricanes. Last time a hurricane hit here was Hurricane Sandy. That was the last big one. And I was living with my ex-boyfriend, boyfriend at the time. Duh. And, um, and our apartment, the bottom level, it flooded with three feet of sewage water. So we were like, oh, shit. And then we went to run everything upstairs. And that's when I looked in my boyfriend's closet in his office. And I found what I thought was a flashlight. And I unscrewed the cap and it was a butthole. Yes, that's right, ladies and gentlemen. He used to date a porn star who had a bunch of flashlights. And he kept on, he held on to one of them. And that's when I discovered he held on to one of them. It's when Hurricane Sandy hit and my apartment was flooded with three feet of sewage water. And then the power went out. So... You know, shit can only go up from there, right? Right? No, it has. It has, because I'm a free woman now, and I live alone, and I love it. I'm doing a show, if you're in the Fairfield, Connecticut area, Saturday, August 29th, doing two shows, 5 p.m. and 7 p.m. They're outdoors. Wendy Starling will be there featuring, because my Buffalo dates got canceled, and I'm so sad about that. I prepaid for the Airbnb and for the car rental for that Buffalo gig. And then when I tried to get the money back, they were like, no. And I'm like, well, that's cool. So I didn't get to do a weekend of shows where I would have made money. But then I spent approximately $800 on a car and an Airbnb. Cool. No, we'll figure it out. We'll we'll figure it out. Everyone's so stressed. When I messaged the Airbnb host, I was like, hey, man, I'm so sorry. I got to cancel this. I can't. The show just got canceled and it was for work. And now I'm not making money anymore. I don't. And then, I mean, it's really, it's not his fault. It's a fucking club's fault. But they were just doing what they had to do to stay alive. I get it. But God damn it, am I out $800. So come see me in Fairfield, Connecticut. <laughs> and Venmo me. No, I'm just kidding. Don't do that. Um, whew, I'll tell you what. A show, a docuseries that I've been obsessed with. You got it. Steal someone's HBO Go password. It is worth it. Holy hell. I'll be gone in the dark is an HBO docuseries about Michelle McNamara, who was a true crime writer. She was married to Patton Oswald, a comedian, amazing comedian. 
uh, I actually saw Pat Oswald film in Austin, Texas at Moon Tower. I saw him film his last special where he talked about her death. She died um, suddenly from a brain aneurysm. Was it a brain aneurysm? And she had all these drugs in her system. And one of them was Adderall. And I was like, oh, that's cool. But there was a lot of other drugs. But it, that's not the point of the documentary. Um, it's part of it, though. It's part of it. Uh, this docuseries is everything that television can be. This this sets the bar so high. It is so riveting. And the final episode came out this week, this past weekend. And wow. I'm not going to... All I'm going to say is wow. And also, yo, this has been happening since the beginning of time. But one of the points that this docuseries drives home is dudes be raping. Not all dudes. That's implied. But dudes be raping. Dudes be raping. Oh my Christ. I wish, you know, this has nothing to do with this particular docuseries. And I'm just going to talk about rape. Um, outside the context of the show. I, I wish, I really wish, man. I wish that when dudes be raping and then years later, the person they raped comes forward and says, hey, that motherfucker raped me. I wish they could just um, accept it that they raped. Do you know what I mean? This goes so hand in hand with the theme of the part of Six Pillars of Self-Esteem we're talking about. Self-acceptance is so important. And we think about all of these terrible issues in the world and society. We need to accept the do. Well, we, I fucking already accepted it. The, the men who do this, who rape, you gotta accept that you're raped. Yo, you be raping. You raped. Say you raped, okay? Because I cannot imagine what it must feel like for a victim who's of rape to come forward in the press with their name in the press. No one does that for fun. P.S. In case you didn't know. That's not like a, you know what I'm gonna do today? Tell everybody this guy who's famous raped me and then get all these death threats. Cool. Because what happens when a, a, a woman, and I, I mean, I'm in comedy, so I pay close attention to it in the comedy uh, arena. A woman will come forward and saying, this comedian sexually assaulted me or whatever they did, something in the realms of sexual assault. And then other women will come forward because it's never once, okay? It's hardly ever once. And then another d woman will come forward and all these, and then the comedian, I'm thinking of Brian Callen. Fucking asshat. You fucking piece of shit. No one is going... He, 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 he really doubled down on this statement, but let me read a portion of this article. It's from Vulture. Um, uh, where do I want to start? Um, I'll start from the beginning. A little over a month ago, comedian Chris D'Elia was accused of sexual misconduct. One of his close friends, also at the center of allegations, uh, there's a new report in the LA Times, four women have gone on the record, which is... Not something any woman does for fun because if you go after, not go after a comedian, if you say, this person who's a comedian did this to me, all the fans of that comedian are going to be like, no, I fucking whore. Like I saw it in his comment section. We've got your back, Brian. Fuck you. Okay? Go to hell. Yeah, I said it and I meant it, you piece of shit. Um, they went on the record to accuse comedian. I'm not going to, who cares what shows he has in. Brian Callen of sexual assault and misconduct. The allegations span back to 1999 when former Mad TV cast member Catherine For uh, Fior Tigerman alleges Callen raped her. Tigerman told the Times that she watched the allegations against Dalia play out last month. And when Callen's name began to be mentioned, she felt relief and thought, oh, I'm not by myself in this. I finally feel power against him. And if I can give that feeling to somebody else, that would be great. Like Tigerman, three other women shared their allegations against Callen. In details with the Times, a former American Apparel employee named Rachel Green, oh, Rachel from Friends, accused Callan of pinning her against the dressing room wall in 1999 and kissing her, which she immediately reported to her coworkers. Which is great because you know what? When something like that happens, your response, the body's response system, when something like wild and what the fuck happens, fight, flight, or freeze. When you freeze, you don't even understand what's happening and you kind of black it out. When you fight, you punch the person back in the face. But you know, like. When when you you flight you just you run away. Um, Claire Ganshart, who was an inspiring actress when she met Callan in 2012, when she was 23 and working at a New York coffee shop, said she had a four year affair with Callan while he was married, and that he told her in 2016 that women have a quote biological primal desire to be 
raped. You know what, Brian Callen? You can suck on my big old clit after I've rollerbladed for 18 hours. Fuck you. Okay? A comedian named Tiffany King has also alleged that in 2017, Callen tried to pressure her to give him oral sex in exchange for stage time and money at a time when he knew that she was struggling financially. Quote, it was so humiliating. He was somebody I looked up to as a comedian who had control over something I loved. King told the Times, if I had been, uh, if it had been another woman... She could have done it and killed herself the next day because she felt so horrible. I mean, that's, yeah, that could happen. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not about to be like, no, I, I don't know. People, you don't know, you don't know what anybody is going through and an event can occur to, that really makes them crack. Um, and then Callan released a fucking statement and I watched it on his Instagram live and I'm not going to, he's just, he's basically like, let me be clear. I did not rape anyone. Buddy, four women are not going to come forward saying, hey, he did this for fun. And and it's also, I can't speak for these people. So I'm I'm just surmising here with everything I know about rape, because I feel like I know a lot about rape, doing that training, um, sexual assault, victim advocate training in Bellevue Hospital, and just doing guys we fucked. It, It takes so long sometimes for for a traumatic thing to settle in as even being traumatic and then you deal with it and that's so painful so when a person finally has the courage and I do believe it is courage because the 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 flack you get on the internet that's a light way of putting it is tremendously horrible no one is doing this for fun and I just wish I just wish because I don't think that these women are being like, I hope he lives in a shack for the rest of his life. No one's fucking saying that. No one's saying that you should be banned from the world, okay? But fucking give me the decency of admitting you did it, you piece of shit, okay? Just fucking do it. Except, like, I, it's so, it's gotta be really challenging for a person who's been raped, if however they deal with it, if they go through waves of, oh, okay, it takes them a long time to accept it. That's, that's really hard. But then it, to heal fully, you, I'm, I'm sure a, a victim of rape can heal fully without any, um, any communication with the person who did this to them. But my God, what a blow it must feel to come forward in the LA Times with your name out there saying, this motherfucker did this to me. And then he released a statement. No, I didn't. Fuck you. We cannot fix this problem of sexual assault in our society if your dumbass doesn't admit that you fucking did it. What do you think is going to happen? Because do you understand? Like, I just, oh my God. I just think people are so, in these situations, these guys are so fucking stupid. Because if you came forward and you were brave enough to say, you know what? I did do that and I'm ashamed or however you feel about it. Own it, motherfucker, because then you can begin to heal and then the person that you harm can begin to heal. And then as a society, we can take this issue and go, how can we, how can we, what do we have to do as a society to make rape happen less? You know what I mean? I just get so mad. I get so mad. There was a fucking... The, the stories came out about another comic that I know very well and I love him or I love you know and I hadn't talked to him in a long time about him dating a 15 year old when he was 30 and I read all the things that she'd said and then I read his statement and he doubled the fuck down saying she was crazy and a drug addict and I thought to myself boy if this motherfucker's lying and he's doubling down like this fuck you and then two very trusted people that are friends and colleagues in the comedy community had talked to several comedians that were much older who have started with this person and they all said yeah everyone knew that he was dating this 15 year old chick and we were all like what the fuck are you doing and i'm like you motherfucker what is the fucking problem why can you not just say you did it it's so insulting it's so insulting Oh, you liking my comedy podcast so far, guys? I am.
I just, I just, it's so infuriating, guys. It's so, it's so infuriating because, and then the victim is just, has to get closure on their own. But man, using somebody's mental health and drug addiction against them to say that this person's nuts, fuck you. Because they may, they may have a drug addiction. They may have a lot of mental health issues. Maybe it's from the time you dated him when you, she was 15. I just, and it's not to single out any one person. But this is a huge problem. And if we started dealing with it in a way that had self-acceptance on the part of the perpetrator, we could all heal. Dumbasses. You fuck it. You're fucking dumbasses. Anyway, let's let's do some comedy about how, well, this is also about how guys can be terrible. But not all men, okay? I know, I, I hope that it is implied when I said that, say that, but I understand if it's not, and I understand that I should add that. It's okay. I'm not, I'm not mad about that. I used to be mad about that, but now I'm not. Um, so, you know what? <laughs> Let's turn this train around and do some fuckboy theater, okay? some fuckboy theater let's make fun of some pieces of shit this is a conversation a girl sent me she emailed it to me by the way if you have fuckboy theater submissions there's screenshots of terrible dating apps you've uh, conversations that you've had email them to me at the voices in our heads podcast at gmail.com <laughs> so mad okay um and this girl prefaced this conversation by saying this guy just texted her out of the blue he had her number clearly so this isn't on a dating app this is via text she's from england but i'm not gonna do a british accent i'll save you guys that trouble you're welcome thank you you're welcome um and she had an encounter with this guy years ago and she didn't remember so this is this is an encounter between what's this guy's name what's his name i don't i don't know his name he doesn't need a name Let's call him Jeff. Okay, so the day before she sends this conversation, he says, how are you, Ruth? X. And then the next day he says, you look well sexy, XX. Who is this? Adam. We'll we'll say, Jeff, I met you at Latest Bar a while ago. Don't remember. Also, not sure what or where Latest Bar is. Must have been a long time ago, as I have been with my boyfriend for a year. You invited me back to yours. Then we got back to your place and went upstairs and fucked some other guy. Remember? No. Anyway, see you around. Latest bar is in Brighton? Haven't even lived in Brighton for three years. It might be time to get you, for you to get over that. I'm over it. I was just reminding you. Must happen quite often if you can't even remember. I can't even remember some random person who I met on a night out at least three years ago. You're right. Also, quote, went upstairs. Wouldn't have been even been my last house in Brighton. So it's actually at least five years ago when I was 20. LOL. Okay. Well, thanks for explaining that. You definitely remember it. Or you do it all the time. Either way, you're a bit of a cunt. You got to admit that's a fair statement. Why am I a cunt? Never mind. If you don't realize that's a cunty thing to do, then sorry. But you're fucking dense as well, love. (laughs) I think messaging me out of the blue calling me sexy as if you have any right to message me at all and expecting me to respond, well, is a pretty dense thing to do. Anyway, I must get back to work where my cunty old self works for a homeless charity following the years of study, volunteering, and moving around the country that have occurred since some very insignificant night when I apparently met you. And you can go back to trying to get your kicks out of objectifying strangers because you believe you were owed sex half a decade ago. Oh, shit. She told him. She told him. God, I gotta, I'm gotta. i going to take a break from Fuckboy Theater because sometimes it's, I, I get mad about the raping and then the Fuckboy Theater, the entitlement that is exposed in these conversations. I, I'm, my heart is not able to make them funny um, because I'm mad, y'all. I'm mad. But you know what? It didn't make me mad. I hosted a party this past weekend, a very small party for a small group of people. Um, they were like three feet tall. No, I'm just kidding. Um, it was eight of our friends that we've been hanging out the whole quarantine. 
we've actually never hung out indoors. The only persons I've hung out indoors with is Justin and Corinne separately. But these these eight people, we'd all been hanging out. So we had a birthday party for our friend Justin Silver. And it was so fun. I bought all these dog-themed decorations. And then I realized, it made me think, like, I really enjoy, I really enjoyed this party a lot. And I enjoyed prepping for this party. Because when I have some a thing at my house, it's been so long since I've had a party at my house. But I clean, I use that as an excuse to clean the shit out of everything. Yo, cleaning is so relaxing to me. I don't think I've ever mentioned this, but when I was... 13, 14, 15 years old, my mom had separated from my dad and moved to Pennsylvania, so I moved with her. And she was on disability, but she also did had a gig on the side to earn more money uh, cleaning houses. And so I would clean houses with her, like almost every weekend. So that we could pay for my braces. That's really why we did it, to pay for my braces. And I was like, thanks, mom. But I helped her clean the houses, and I really got, I really just, you could get, you could get into cleaning, man. Oof detailed cleaning I'm talking about get in every little inch I clean my bathroom in preparation for this party I clean the tiles on the walls of my bathroom I was like god damn and then the night before I had the upstairs clean and I was just sitting in my kingdom my queendom and just looking around at all the cleanliness I rearranged the books on my bookshelf oh my god organization is the key to success that's what a teacher I hated said to me in fifth grade and I and I and I hated her and she hated me but that quote still rings true. So so I prepped for this party. It was very fun. It was very fun. And we had, Corinne and I had a surprise planned. Um, our friend, uh, who's also a stripper, we had her come over. She was wearing a mask the entire time. And we had her dress as a puppy. Or a, I guess a dog. Puppies. I guess a puppy's creepy. But a dog. And a full-grown adult-ass woman dog. And that was the surprise. And we didn't tell anybody. Oh, by the way, I listened to last week's episode and I did, I was like riffing on this bit idea that I had about how I'm bad at keeping secrets. And I listened to it. I'm like, that makes me sound very distrustful. I'm actually very good at keeping secrets. The only time I'm not good at it, if it's something real juicy, like if someone I knew fucked a celebrity, I got to tell one other person, you know, but if you're like, when I was six, my uncle touched, I'm not going to say, I'm not going to tell anybody that. I just want to preface that. I reminded myself to make a note of that to tell you. So you don't think I'm just stressful, y'all. But anyway, this secret I kept. And I have two entrances to my apartment. One's upstairs, one's downstairs. And so she came in through the downstairs. In the middle, you know, the party was already popping. Everybody was here. And then she put on the puppy costume. The dog costume, sorry. She was not a minor. She's well over 18. Um, and she had these songs and then Corinne and I brought her upstairs and beforehand I went to the bank to get $200 bill stacks of ones and filled them with money guns that I purchased off Amazon. Thanks to my good friend Kirill who pointed out that Amazon sells money guns. You want to feel like a boss bitch? Get a money gun off Amazon and then fill it with ones. So we did that and then we walked upstairs. I paused the music and everyone's like, wait, what's going on? And then our friend walks up in this like hot dog costume commence striptease for three songs and it was so freaking fun man let me tell you something though there are two kinds of women in this world the women that have it in them to be strippers and the women that don't have it in them to be strippers and that i'm the latter i am so i love strippers female strippers specifically i love them so much when they're obviously like there's shitty ones out there i guess but when a, when a stripper is like really good, it just makes me feel like more of a woman in, in some way. Because I'm like, wow, well, I want to move like that. I want to be able to do that at a fucking party and then not feel weird. I just think it's so admirable. So anyway, I cleaned the fuck out of my apartment. Everybody came over. Then the stripper came upstairs and I was like, what? This is crazy. And it was just so fun. It was such a fun evening of friendship. And friends make the world go round. And I was happy to provide a safe space for my friends to hang out and party. I sanitized the shit out of my apartment and I got tested for COVID a couple days before and it was negative because I was like, antibodies, antibodies, nope. So, <laughs> that was the only time I was ever bummed to not have antibodies of a disease or whatever. Um, and then one thing I love doing at parties is taking pictures with my Polaroid camera. So I ran around and took all these pictures and then at the, at the end of the party, everyone left. 
and I left all the Polaroids upstairs. And the next morning I walked upstairs and I saw the Polaroids. I'm like, y'all, we live the best life, okay? It was just so much fun. And I missed fun, intimate gather gatherings with friends. I think they're so special and they make the world go round. And I'll never forget it. I'll never forget it. Friends are my lifeline. They keep everything going. Before we get into the six pillars, uh, somebody pointed out, her name is Sarah. Thank you, Sarah. I don't know what your last name is. I forget. But this a lady named Sarah DM'd me this podcast episode because she heard me talking about Gabor Mate. That's how you say it. Oops. Um, this author of, of a book I'm reading called Scattered. And she sent me an episode of a podcast called Last Day. And it's episode number 17. The title is Trauma. She was like, I think you would really like this episode. So I listened to it while I was rollerblading. And boy, was I crying. In the middle of the sunshine, rollerblading. Thank God for those masks. Because I was, this was one of the, this is the kind of cry I was doing. I was like, <laughs> this is what happened to me. It was like one of those. But I was rollerblading furiously. So I was also like out of breath. And I had the mask on and I had sunglasses. So to any ordinary person walking by, it was just some gal joining her blades on a nice day. But inside it was like, oh my God, that's why I'm fucked up. It hit home. And it, and it talks about addiction. Um, the host of this, um, her brother Harris, OD'd on opi opiates, opioids, opiates, opioids. There's a difference. Do I know which one it is? Nah, but he had painkillers and heroin. And it made him go night, night, forever. That's a nice way of saying he died. Um, and it was very sad. It was a very tragic loss in the comedy community. He was a writer. And um, and so I guess that's what prompted this podcast. I don't know. I've just been, I just only listened to this episode and had me in my feelings. I really realized how much time I wasted feeling guilty about the Adderall thing. Feeling extremely guilty and ashamed about being addicted to Adderall. I thought it was a weakness. I thought, what the fuck is wrong with me? I'm a fucking idiot. All that shit. All that fun shit that makes you feel like a bad bitch. And you want to cry. Um, but one of the quotes he said is, trauma is the norm. It doesn't have to be, but it is. Trauma isn't bad things happen to people. Life brings pain. Pain, comes with trauma uh, pain becomes traumatic when that pain isn't resolved and doesn't get the support it needs. Trauma isn't what happens to us. It's what happens inside us. And I was like, oh, God damn, Gabe. Kapoor Mate. That's crazy. That's crazy accurate. I stand with you, Gabor. And also I learned that he has a sexy voice. I'm like, oh, God damn it. <laughs> but what, th this is the other quote that I just wanted to mention. Don't start by asking what's wrong with an addiction. We all know what's wrong with addiction. Ask what is right about it. What feeling does this substance give you that you previously lacked? And then he talks about a woman he treated who was an opioid user, opiate user. And she, he asked her that question. What does this drug give you that you don't have? And she said, when I do it, it feels like a warm hug. Well, now that's a clue, y'all. Get out your treasure map because we're going to find the root of that feeling. Such a great way to put it. What is right about your addiction? What does it give you? I love putting a positive twist on everything. And that quote had me, woof, dancing in my blades. So next time a person in your life is struggling with addiction, don't, don't be addicted to them. There's a reason why they're addicted. And then also what, what I found very interesting was the host of this podcast, this girl whose brother had OD'd, was very confused. How could Harris have OD'd on opioids? We had a great childhood, blah, blah, blah. And then Gabor Mate was like, our, our words about our childhood are missing a lot of moments. And I was like, oh, God damn. You hit me again, Gabor. It's true. Something I noticed with every person that has childhood drama is they, they're so terrified of saying that a parent did anything wrong. And that stems, from what I know from my personal therapist, from survival mechanism. When you're a kid and you have this feeling or it is made known to you that perhaps mommy or daddy cannot take care of me the way I need them to take care of me, you go inwards and go, what can I do to make them love me, take care of me more, feed me, whatever it is. 
and then you grow up and you give people gifts and you don't need to give them gifts and then every people walk all over you and you're like why and then you realize it's because you're a freaking people pleaser y'all and it's exhausting but really great stuff on addiction really great stuff then the host she, she was saying you know i don't get why uh he 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 did this we had a great childhood and then gabor uh was asking her questions he goes well do you want to get personal and she was like yeah and she was talking about how she has a work addiction you know addic- addicting to work uh if i do a good job all the time and that people kind of brag about being a workaholic bitch stop bragging about that okay i let me tell you i was one of those people that i was like i'm just working so hard i have so much to do i don't even know like my list is like so long I'm like Kristen Wiig's character Penelope on SNL. My list is like longer than yours. My list, my list is like 18 miles. I don't even actually sleep because I just, I'm just doing stuff and I'm like always getting stuff done. I'm like uploading and editing and stuff. I'm like always reading. <laughs> but I used to carry that around like a badge of honor. I'm a workaholic. No big deal. I work really hard. <laughs> Thank you. But really, you're just covering up some holes of some emotional wounds, y'all. So fucking have fun realizing that. God, this podcast is not not as comedic as I was hoping. But you know what? Comedy is truth plus timing. And the truth is sometimes life's shit. Sometimes it is. Now let's, I have so many things that I want to read from you from chapter seven of Nathaniel Brandon's The Six Pillars of Self-Esteem. The definitive work on self-esteem by the leading pioneer in the field. What accent was that? Couldn't fucking tell you. Couldn't tell you. The practice of self-acceptance. I highlighted so much shit, but we have time. Don't worry. It's quarantine. We're not going anywhere. Um, so self, self-acceptance. He says, without self-acceptance, self-esteem is impossible. Okay? In fact, it is so intimately bound up with self-esteem that one sometimes sees the two ideas confused, yet they are different in meaning, and each needs to be understood in its own right. Whereas self-esteem is something we experience, self-acceptance is something we do. Self-acceptance is action, y'all. Self-acceptance is my refusal, refusal to be in an adversarial relationship with myself. And then I had to be like, I think I know what adversarial means, but I'm not entirely sure. So I done Googled it, and it was what I thought. It means opposed or hostile. So if you have a hostile relationship with yourself, you, you don't accept yourself. Really? So there's three levels of self-acceptance. Let's look at the first one, y'all. To be self-accepting is to be on my own side, to be for myself. In the most fundamental sense, self-acceptance refers to an orientation of self-value and self-commitment that derives from the fact that I am alive and conscious. (sighs) Some people are (sighs) self-rejecting at so deep a level that no growth work can even begin until and unless this problem is addressed. If it is not, no treatment will will hold No new learning will be properly integrated. No significant advances will be made. Psychotherapists who do not understand this problem or do not detect its presence will be baffled as to why certain clients, even after years of therapy, show no important improvements. You got to accept yourself, y'all, because if you can't accept it, you can't fucking fix it. You got to fix it. But first, before you fix it, you got to accept it. And that's not very easy. Self-acceptance is my refusal to be in an adversarial relationship with myself. to myself. I'm just going to read that again because I thought it was an important quote. That was really cute. An attitude of basic self-acceptance is what an effective psychotherapist strives to awaken in a person of even the lowest self-esteem. It entails the declaration, I choose to value myself, to treat myself with respect, to stand up for my right to exist. And you'd think like, of course I stand up for my right to exist. Yeah, do you though? Do you? Think about it. So many times uh, when I'm trying to deal with myself and trying to keep tally of like, am I, am I respecting myself? Am I treating myself well? I say, well, how would I, if a friend was in this exact same scenario and they came to me and they're like, Christina, what do I do? Would I tell them to do what I'm doing? And then I either go, yeah, or no. But you got to keep tally. Um, you got to choose to value yourself, 
Self-acceptance entails the declaration, I choose to value myself, to treat myself with respect, to stand up for my right to exist. I repeat, when we are on the brink of suicide, it can make us pick up our telephone and call for help. From the depths of anxiety or depression, self-acceptance can lead us to the office of a psychotherapist. After we have endured years of abuse and humiliation, it can fling us into shouting, no, no, when all we want to do is lie down and die. It can impel us to keep moving. It is the voice of the life force. It is selfishness in its noblest meaning of the word. If it goes silent, self-esteem is the first casualty. Oh, that's a war metaphor, y'all. Not really. That's the first level. Let's look at the second level. Let's look, boys and girls. Let's take a journey and look at the second level. Um, Self-acceptance entails our willingness to experience, that is, to make real to ourselves without denial or evasion, that we think what we think, feel what we feel, desire what we desire, have done what we have done, and are what we are. Sounds like a Dr. Seuss novel, but it ain't. It is the refusal to regard any part of ourselves, our bodies, our emotions, our thoughts, our actions, our dreams, as alien, as not me. It is our willingness to experience rather than to disown whatever may be the facts of our being at a particular moment. To think of our thoughts, own our feelings, that one was for me, and be present to the reality of our behavior. Can you imagine if we were lived in a fucking world where even 10 people were accepting of the reality of their behavior? I mean, Jesus Christ. The willingness to experience and accept our feelings carries no implication that emotions are to have the last word on what we do. I may not be in the mood to work today. I can acknowledge my feelings, experience them, accept them, and then go to work. I will work with a clear mind because I have not begun the day with self-deception. Boy, oh boy, did I need to hear that. A lot of times we wait for inspiration to strike to, for example, this personal one to me, write a book proposal. I'm trying to write this fucking book proposal. It's going to be real good, but I'm trying to write it. Procrastinate. Boy, do I procrastinate because I have this illusion in my head that I need to be so stressed out by how little time I have left to turn something in that I'll just fucking do it. Because I wait around all week for inspiration to strike when I don't feel like fucking writing. But in reality, if I go, you know what? I don't feel like writing. Breathe into it. I don't feel like writing. Why? I could go through why, whatever. And then I take a deep breath, maybe a couple deep breaths. Keep breathing or else you'll die. And then I sit at my desk and I go, here we go. I don't want to do this. Here we go. And honestly, shit works. Often when we fully experience and accept negative feelings, we are able to let go of them. They have been allowed to have their say and they relinquish center stage. Ooh, love a good fear metaphor. Feelings, like I said last week, feelings aren't facts, but feelings are clues. And guess what? If your head's up your own butthole, you can't see the clue. How are you supposed to see the clue when your head's up your hiney? Hmm? If I am thinking these disturbing thoughts, I am thinking them. I accept the full reality of my experience. If I am feeling pain or anger or fear or inconvenient lust, I love that inconvenient lust, story of my fucking life, or inconvenient lust, I'm feeling it. What is true is true. I do not rationalize, deny, or attempt to explain away. And that's where I have problems because I always can explain it. I am feeling what I am feeling and I accept the reality of my experience. If I have taken actions of which I am later ashamed, the facts remain that I have taken them. That is the reality and I do not twist my brain to make the facts disappear. I do that though. I am willing to stand still in the presence of what I know to be true. What is, is. That's easier said than done, Nathaniel. To accept is more than simply to acknowledge or admit. This is a very important, this is very important, kids. I repeat, to accept is more than simply to acknowledge or admit. Yeah, I did it. Fuck you. Let's take Brian Callen, for example. And I'm, again, I'm not, I mean, it sounds like I'm trying to single him out. It's just so many fucking guys. This tale is old as time. Um, but let's take a person who uh, got accused of sexual assault. Brian Callen, that's just one of them. Um, to accept is, sim- uh, is, is more than simply to acknowledge or admit. It is to experience 
stand in the presence of, contemplate the reality of, absorb into my consciousness. Consciousness. Did I say it right? Who cares? I I care. I'll do I'll figure it out later. I need to open myself to and fully experience unwanted emotions, not just prefunctorily recognize them. For example, suppose my wife asked me, oh, stop bragging, I get it, you're married. Suppose my wife asked me, How are you feeling? And I answer in a tense, distracted manner, rotten. Then she says sympathetically, I see that you are feeling really depressed today. Then I sigh. The tension begins to flow out of my body and in an altogether different tone of voice, the voice of someone who is now real to himself, I say, yes, I am feeling miserable, really miserable. And then I begin to talk about what what is bothering me. When with my body tense to resist the experience of my feelings, I had answered rotten, I was denying my emotion at the same time that I was acknowledging it. That's a very intricate idea, but I get it. I had to read it a couple times, but I get it. ADD, y'all. Whoopsies. But when he said rotten, yes, he was honoring how he felt, but he was just leaving it at that. And he was kind of denying the depth of the emotion. My wife's sympathetic response helped me to experience it, which cleared the way for me to begin to deal with it. Experiencing our feelings has direct healing power. And that's what I'm trying to say with the, with the rape example. And why it's so infuriating to me when multiple women come forward saying, this person raped me. And then the person doubles down and was like, no, but I didn't though. I didn't do it. Motherfucker, we are trying to make this world a better place. Do you understand me? Okay. And in order for us to do that, you need to stand in what you did, little man. Okay. And this is not saying you should die. This is not saying you should go broke for the rest of your life and suffer because you should not. But if you cannot even fucking accept the fact that you did that and deal with the man in the mirror, well, then we're going to have a problem, aren't we? And we're not going to be able to solve the rampant degree of sexual assault that happens in this world. And it just and one of the reasons why it pisses me off is it's so possible. I see the way through. I see it. But that involves the person doing the sh- shitty thing to sit in it and fucking own it because then that person will heal and he will be less of a piece of shit to his wife, to his daughters, to other women, to his mom, to the mailman, to the guy at CVS, everybody. Everybody wins. And it's not some, ha-ha, I'm going to get you and you're going to be punished forever. No! You know who is who has the potential to be punished forever? A victim of something as traumatic as rape. Okay? Uh, anyway, really going on some rants here. Oh, I love this quote. I cannot forgive myself for an action I will not acknowledge having taken. I mean, yeah. Uh, but I, you know, I used to say, I used to brag uh, to my ex because we were together for seven years and we all we did was talk talk we talked each other's heads off and we had um, very enjoyable conversations together and one of the things I would say to him is like Chris, I, I'm allergic to bad feelings and he would always say like you only hear what you want to hear and you only see what you want to see in in a more adorable way because you know I'm not ill-willed by any means because if I if I've hurt somebody's feelings I lean into that shit and go I'm so sorry because I have to confront what I did that hurt them so I can learn and feel at peace with myself. But yeah, I always would say I'm allergic to bad feelings. And I realized there's so much denial, so much denial that I had to, I had to sift through the swamp of denial for the last two years. And that, but that's one of the reasons why I'm so happy now at this point in my life is because I did that. You, you know, I look back at that relationship and I notice all the times that I just pretended that the thing that was the alarm bell wasn't really there. And that's how you really betray yourself, y'all. We must remind ourselves that accepting does not necessarily mean liking, enjoying, or condoning. I repeat, accepting does not mean liking, enjoying, or condoning. Because Jesus Christ, all the terrible things about myself that I've accepted, I didn't like them. If I did, I'd be a freaking psychopath. I can accept what is and be determined to evolve from there. 
It is not acceptance, but denial that leaves me stuck. You hear that, everybody? You hear that? I'm turning the page, sorry. Let's look at the third level of self-acceptance. Self-acceptance does not deny reality, does not argue that what is wrong is really all right, but it inquires into the context in which the action was taken. It wants to understand the why. It wants to know why something that is wrong or inappropriate felt desirable or appropriate or even necessary at the time. And I'm going to bring this back to the good old topic of rape. Because if people who raped or sexually assaulted people accepted it, that is in no way saying you liked it. But the why, why did you do it? Why at the time did you allow yourself to overtake another human being's body for your own personal pleasure? Okay, that is such an important question to ask and that's one of the reasons why people ask Corinne and I over the years what are your ideal guys who who's your ideal guys we fuck guess to be honest I want to talk to somebody who's a, a man who's raped that's who I want to talk to because I want to know what the why is it doesn't condone that doesn't pardon that person from what they did but we are missing a very valuable piece to this puzzle I mean we have we we can make a couple guesses as to why but you don't know that person's story until you ask them and they can't tell you their story and their inner workings and their feelings until they've accepted it first. And I really think that's how we solve sexual assault. Um, we do not understand another human being when we know only what he or she did is wrong, unkind, destructive, or whatever. I repeat, we do not understand another human being when we know only that what he or she did is wrong, unkind, destructive, or whatever. We need to know the internal considerations that prompted the behavior. There's always some context in which the most offensive actions can have their own kind of sense. This does not mean they are justified, only that they can be understandable. I'll bring up rape again, but I'm, I'll, 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 I'll hold off. Um... Oh, so here's an exercise that he suggests. By way of introducing clients to the idea of self-acceptance, I often like to begin with a simple exercise. <laughs> simple. Mm -hmm. It can offer a profound learning experience. Stand in front of a full-length mirror and look at your face and body. Notice your feelings as you do so. I am asking you to focus not on your clothes or your makeup, but on you. Notice if this is difficult or makes you uncomfortable. It is good to do this exercise naked. And I went downstairs and I was like, I'm going to go stand in front of my mirror, fucking butt ass naked. And I'm going to look at myself and notice how I feel. And there was, you know, immediately I went to, oh, that's, that's weird. That's weird. And then I just, instead of going, well, no, it's not. Oh, well, Christina, stop being so hard on yourself. Just accept that you think it's weird. Do you know what I'm saying? It's okay. That doesn't mean it's right. And I just took a couple of breaths and stared at my naked ass body. And then by the end, I was like, girl, you look good. You look good, girl. Thank you. You're welcome. <sighs> you may find yourself protesting, but I don't like certain things about my body. So how can I accept them unreservedly and completely? But remember, accepting does not necessarily mean liking. Even though you may not like or enjoy everything you see when you look in the mirror, you are still able to say, right now, that's me. And I don't deny the fact. I accept it. That is respect for reality. You know, when I was a kid, people had respect for reality, but not no more. I mean, we see it play out in politicians all the time. Fucking the president of the United States is the person who has the least respect for reality. Jesus Christ. Anthony Fauci's like, guys, keep wearing the mask. They help. This coronavirus is really bad. And you're like, Anthony, maybe you need some throat coat tea. No, I'm fine. Don't worry about it. Okay, you short? Yeah, but wear a mask. And then Trump's like, don't wear a mask. And he's like, no, but don't listen to him. Wear a mask. It's just, what the fuck is everyone smoking? When clients commit to doing this exercise for two minutes every morning and again every night for two weeks, they soon begin to experience, hold on, I got to turn that page. The relationship between self-acceptance and self-esteem. A mind that honors sight honors itself. Woo, that ain't a good quote. I'll repeat that again. A mind that honors sight honors itself. 
you know, I used to, well, I, I'm still like this because one of the things um, you may know about me if you've been listening to all these episodes is that um, one of my Achilles heels with my body, with my physical appearance is acne. And so for the longest time, um, if I was going through a breakout, I would I hooked up there's one day where I went to the hardware store and I went and bought dimmers for all my lights y'all and I plug them in to every light I have y'all and I put it on just the dimmest little setting so that when I looked in the mirror I didn't see any acne because what I can't see can't hurt me but guess what it can it can listening to feelings you know that's a hard one the act of experiencing and accepting our emotions is implemented through one, focusing on the feeling or emotion, two, breathing gently and deeply, allowing muscles to relax, allowing the feeling to be felt, and three, making real that this is my feeling, which we call owning it. Own that shit, girl. Own it. Own it. In contrast, we deny and disown our emotions when we, one, avoid awareness of the reality, like when you purchase dimmers for all your lots because you don't want to look in the mirror to see your acne. Two, constrict our breathing and tighten our muscles to cut off or numb feeling. Do that too. Three, disassociate ourselves from our own experience in which, uh, in which state we are often unable to recognize our feelings. Can't figure out what to do with that pizza of a face if you don't recognize it, y'all. Oh, and here's a, an example of a client that I thought he gives a personal example, but I think this example is really good. Be, uh, and, and it shows that owning your feelings is just, you can really fight back against that. And I've done that personally in therapy. But here's an example of one of his clients. One day, a client began reproaching herself for feeling anger at her husband over the fact that he was leaving on a two week business trip. She called herself irrational. She called herself stupid. She told herself it was ridiculous to feel this way, but the anger persisted. No shit, Sherlock. She didn't know. It's okay. She didn't know. No one has ever talked herself or anyone else out of an unwanted emotion by hurling insults or delivering a moral lecture. Wish someone told me that when I was six. I asked her to describe her feeling of anger, to describe where in her body she experienced it and how exactly it felt to her. My therapist always does that. Where is the feeling? Where does the feeling live in your body? What does the feeling feel like? Where is it in your body? And now I start asking myself that because she asked me so much. I'll be at home being like, I'm mad. Where is it? It's in my right titty. Okay, that's something. My goal was to have her enter the feeling more deeply. Annoyed and irritated by my request, she demanded, what good would that do? I don't want to feel the anger. I want to get rid of it. I persisted and gradually she began to describe feelings of tension in her chest and a tight knot in her stomach. Then she exclaimed, I feel indignant. I feel outraged. I feel, how can you do this to me? Then to her astonishment, the anger began to dissolve and another emotion emerged in its place, anxiety. I asked her to enter the anxiety and describe it. And again, her first response was to protest and ask what good it would do. I guided her to experience the anxiety to immerse herself in it while being a witness to it, describing everything she could notice and to discover if perhaps it would speak to her. My God, she cried. I'm afraid of being left alone. And again, she began to rebuke herself. What am I, a child? Can't I be on my own for two weeks? I asked her to go more deeply into the fear of being alone. She suddenly said, I'm afraid of what I might do when he's gone. You know, other men. I might get involved with another man. I don't trust myself. By now, the anger was gone. The anxiety had dissolved. The fear of loneliness had faded away. To be sure, a problem remained that had to be dealt with. But now, since it was admitted into conscious awareness, it was capable of being dealt with. I mean, goddamn. An example, personal example for me, one of the one time my therapist, I entered her office. I was actually kind of oddly excited. I was in the midst of this like toddler temper tantrum rage fit. And I happened to have therapy that day. And I hadn't felt that feeling in so long since I was dating my ex. And I was almost like, you know, kind of glad that I was feeling it on a day that I had therapy because I'm like, can you fucking fix this shit, doc? Because I can't. And I walked into her office and I was just fucking pissed pissed to the level of not of being rude to strangers and that turns into shame of like christina you being such a bitch to stranger like when i'm that way and it's it's rare that i am but when i am in that state 
instead of saying, excuse me, if someone's in my way, I just go move and I keep walking. So rude. So fucking rude. And that also gives me empathy when I see people see people acting nuts on the street. I'm like, you don't know what they're going through. Um, but she she asked me that day in therapy. I remember she was like, okay, so let's do some exercises to calm down. And I was like, I don't want to calm down. And I never really noticed that I don't want to calm down. She goes, you don't want to calm down. That's interesting. Why don't you want to calm down? And we, we talked about it a little. And then eventually I said, because when I calm down and when I'm still, bad things happen. And then after I said that, I was like, ooh, where'd that come from? <laughs> but then she's like, it came from when you were a little girl and you weren't sure what kind of mom you were going to get that day because she was on medications. She'd throw things. Sometimes she would be really sweet and loving. Sometimes she wouldn't. And you always had to be on high alert to know what kind of mom you were getting that day. And so when you're not on high alert is when you're relaxed and you're breathing deep and your pulse is regular. And then you, you thought your survival mechanisms from a child were so ingrained in you that you believed unconsciously, subconsciously, that if you were to sit still, you would die, basically. Shit would hit the goddamn fan. And I was like, you're right, Doc. Thanks for that. I'll never forget you. Oh, man. Um, here is, he, he talks about an experiment um, that you can do, that you yourself can do. Do it when you're alone, though, because don't bring anybody else into your own hell. Come on. <laughs> That's more for me. I often find it useful to invite clients to do the following exercise by way of deepening their understanding of self-acceptance. Take a few minutes to contemplate some feeling or emotion of yours that is not easy for you to face. Insecurity, pain, envy, rage, sorrow, humiliation, fear. You know, all the fun shit. When you isolate the feeling, see if you can bring it into clear focus, perhaps by thinking or of imagining whatever typically evokes it. What brings on this feeling of humiliation, for example? Then breathe into the feeling, which means focus on the feeling while imagining you are directing the flow of air to it and then from it. Imagine what it would feel like not to resist this feeling, but to accept it fully. Explore the experience. Take your time. Practice saying to yourself, I am now feeling humiliation, for example, and I fully accept it. At first, this may be difficult. You may find that your body tenses in protest. It will, trust me. But persevere. Concentrate on your breathing. Think of giving your muscles permission to let go of their tension. Remind yourself, a fact is a fact. That which is, is. If the feeling exists, it exists. Keep contemplating that feeling. Think of allowing the feeling to be there rather than trying to wish it or will it out of existence because that's what I tried to do all 31 years of my life. I'm 32 now, so the past year has been a little better. But, I, I, you know, I would just sit in my living room and just be like, I'm going to wish on a star that this feeling goes away. It never does. When we fight the block, it grows stronger. When we acknowledge, experience, and accept it, it begins to melt. Mm, love that. Love that. If we accept the fact that right now, at this moment, we refuse to accept that we feel envy or anger or pain or longing, for example, or we refuse to accept that we once did or believed such and such, that like the earth was flat, for example. If we acknowledge, experience, and accept our resistance, we discover a supremely important paradox. The resistance begins to collapse. Oh, that's fun. Isn't that fun? Oh my God, y'all, Kevin's sleeping and he's so cute. Oh, so here's an example um, that he gives of a client, uh, a difficult client. This is a difficult client. And let me tell you something. I have been this difficult client. Woo-wee. And so have you probably. We're all human, girl. It's okay. Sometimes in therapy, when a person has difficulty accepting the feeling, I will ask if he or she is willing to accept the fact of refusing to accept that feeling. I asked this once of a client who was a clergyman and who had great difficulty in owning or experiencing his anger. Just the same, he was a very angry man. Because you can't fight it. You can't fight that block. If you don't accept it, you're fighting it. And if you fight anger, it'll only grow into more anger. <laughs> my request disoriented him. Will I accept I won't accept my anger? He asked me. When I answered, that's right. He thundered, I refuse to accept my anger and I refuse to accept my refusal. 
I asked, will you accept your refusal to accept your refusal? We've got to begin somewhere. Let's begin there. And I, if I know this client, I don't know this client, but he's probably like, fuck, dumb fuck. Probably got so pissed over that. I asked him to face the group and say, I'm angry over and over again. Soon he was saying it very angrily indeed. Then I had him say, I refuse to accept my anger, which he shouted with escalating vigor. Then I had him say, I refuse to accept my refusal to accept my anger. We're in the matrix. Which he plunged into ferociously. Then I had him say, but I am willing to accept my refusal to accept my refusal. Say that ten times fast, bitch. And he kept repeating it until he broke down and joined in laughter of the group. Isn't that nice? If you can't accept the experience, accept the resistance, he said. And I answered, right. If you can't accept the resistance, accept your resistance to accepting the resistance. Eventually, you'll arrive at a point that you can accept. Then you can move forward from there. So are you angry? I'm filled with anger. Can you accept that fact? I don't like it. Can you accept it? I can accept it. Good. Now we can begin to find out what you are angry about. Oh, he done therapied the shit out of that guy. Done therapied the shit out of that guy. And, and also, too, if you are listening to this and you maybe have this inkling of, oh, shit, I probably have decades of pain I got to figure out that I've been denying my whole life, please know that if you start the work today, I swear to you, I swear to you on my children who I have none, but if I did, I would swear on them, that it will be a year from now, you will be feeling com- like a different person. I promise you. And please know, too, that when you start diving into this work of accepting yourself, it ain't going to be fun, okay? It's not supposed to be fun. It's hard as hell. It's hard. Solid as a rock is your pain and the experience of trying to accept it. So don't go into this thinking it's going to be, you know, ponies and rainbows and farts because it won't be. It'll just be poopy fart. It'll be sharts. That's what it'll be, sharts. No one likes a shart. Um, but I swear to you, woo, you're going to be feeling a lot better in a year. And I know you're like a year. That's so long. Well, whatever. Okay. I'm so impatient and I want immediate gratification. Once I let go of that shit started opening up for me, y'all. Oh, here's another great quote. We can fear, we can be as frightened of our assets as of our shortcomings. If that ain't the fucking truth. That took me a while to realize that I was afraid of, I was afraid of failure, but I was also afraid of success. And I'm like, well, what the fuck am I doing? Just staring at a wall? I'm not afraid of that, I guess. But really, that's failure because I'm not taking action. So, ah, it's so easy to feel like you're just in a tornado of your own emotions. We can be as frightened of our assets as of our shortcomings, as frightened of our genius, ambition, excitement, or beauty as of our emptiness, passivity, depression, or unattractiveness. If our liabilities pose the problem of inadequacy, our assets pose the challenge of responsibility. Oh, I got goosebumps. We can, uh, we can run not only from our dark side, but also from our bright side, from anything that threatens to make us stand out or stand alone, or that calls for the awakening of the hero within us, or that asks that we break through to a higher level of consciousness and reach a higher ground of integrity. The greatest crime we commit against ourselves is not that we may deny or disown our shortcomings, but that we may deny and disown our greatness because it frightens us. It is a fully realized self-acceptance. If, if <laughs> I'm going to start over with that one, y'all. If a fully realized self-acceptance does not evade the worst within us, Neither does it evade the best. The practice of self-acceptance is the second pillar of self-esteem. And I, and I again, the last time of this episode, because I'm about to, I'm wrapping it up. This is the last thing I'm going to say. That's one of the reasons why I'm so passionate about really dark issues in society. You know, some people are too far gone. And those are the most extreme examples you can think of. Harvey Weinstein piece of shit um there's reasons why he did that though i don't know what they are i don't fucking know what they are i can have some guesses but i have no idea but someone like brian callen for example 
every 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 guy every guy who's been in that position who's raped somebody who sexually assaulted somebody and then were forced to deal with it years later when the person that they assaulted comes forward and then when they double down on it it's just it's it's this is why this is heartbreaking and it goes along with everything i just fucking said about self-acceptance you have the power to stand in the bad thing that you did and that not only is respectful to the person you did it to, but it's respectful to yourself. And if you treat yourself with, if you have self-acceptance to the darkest qualities inside of you, you can begin to heal and not be a rapist or whatever. But I, I, we can make the world a better place if we do one of the scariest things that we think is scary before we actually do it is looking into our own darkness. So don't rape, wear a mask, and um, don't be a dick. Be a good person, guys. And, 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 and rate and review this podcast. I don't know if this episode is the best one for me to ask you to do that because I was mad, y'all. But um, but I stand by everything I said. And so um, I hope you have a great rest of your week. Please don't kill yourself. Thanks for being here. Thanks for sticking around. I love you, and I will talk to you next Wednesday. <laughs>